You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Welcome to the Coaching Inn. I'm Claire Pedrick and today I'm delighted to be in the good company of John Blakey. John has written Challenging Coaching and he's written a book called The Trusted Executive and uh John, I must have recommended Challenging Coaching to 2,000 people. Wow. Thank you very much, Claire. You are our <laughs> biggest ambassador. <laughs> Am I your greatest super fan? I hope you're getting royalties on that from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about your coaching journey. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, my coaching journey. Well, like many coaches, my coaching journey started with being coached. So back way way um so how old was I I'm 58 now shock horror and I was coached for the first time when I was 33 and at the time it wasn't called coaching because we didn't really have that word it was called advanced change management as I recall I went on a course in the new forest for a week and we sat down in a room a hotel bedroom there were three of us and there was a lady there and we had to take a challenge from work with us. Mm-hmm. And I shared my challenge and she said, right, we're going to sit here all week and we're going to work on that challenge. And I looked at my watch and I thought, no, it's not that complicated. It'll all be sorted out by two o'clock. Trust me. And of course it wasn't. And by Wednesday afternoon, I was in so deep, so deep. And I didn't know what on earth was going on. I didn't know what she was doing. I didn't know what she was not doing. And, um, but it was revelation for me uh, in, in the truest sense of that word. And, um, and of course, I came out of that experience thinking, I don't know what happened, but I'd love, to, I'd love to be doing that for a living. I'd love to be doing that for a living. And thankfully, I have done that for a living for 20 years and uh, yeah. very, great, very grateful for that. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that starts, it often starts with being coached, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 because that's so somebody said to me this week about when you're passionate about something, when you've experienced something and and you have that genuine passion, then talking to people about it and um, inspiring people to want to try it themselves comes very naturally. Um, So, yeah, I think there's no substitute, particularly with something like coaching, which can be quite intangible, no substitute for being on the receiving end. And I still find it good to be on the receiving end. I, I, I have a coach at the moment and, and I like to um, be on the receiving end because it reminds me um, of the experience from that side of the fence. Yeah, and there's also something about being vulnerable and learning and not knowing and all those good things, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to sort of eat your own dog food, as they say. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Not really sure how to follow that one. <laughs> no, it's, half of the listeners are going to think that was an awful, awful American sounding phrase and the other half will love it. So a lot of our listeners will have met you through Challenging Coaching and yeah. know that you are, you and uh, Ian Day are the Sir Loving Boot people. Yes. Tell us about your journey to challenging coaching and then your journey to trust. Mm, yeah. So 
when I first started training to be a coach and, and there weren't many coaching courses around back then. So I trained first to be a counselor. And so I trained in counseling skills and I learned a huge amount from counseling skills, but I also learned that I didn't want to be a counselor. Um, but I learned a lot that helped me with coaching. And then when I got into coach training, I found that I went on a lot of courses which were built from counseling best practice. Mm. And of course, for me as a corporate leader, as I, as I had been in my career, um, this, this was manna from heaven. It was, it was really new, really different. And it took me out of my comfort zone. And it was really good for me to really immerse myself in that non-directive, pure coaching space. Having said that, after about sort of five or six years of practicing that style of coaching, uh, I became aware of, of a gap um, and my clients were making me aware of a gap around, John, you know, I like it when you challenge me. Uh, can you challenge me more? Mm. And I thought, mm, no, I haven't been trained uh, on doing that. That, that. That's not what I'm here to do. You know, I, no, I'm sorry. You know, and, and they're going, no, yeah, but that's what I want. And I'm going, no, sorry. Uh, according to the book of coaching we don't do that um, so because it wasn't in a book of coaching then Ian and I um, started to think well is is there a book uh, that needs to be written about challenging coaching and the first book we wrote which I've got here is was a self-published book called where were all the coaches when the banks went down yes I remember that one <laughs> well there aren't many copies of that around um, so that was a self-published book which Ian and I wrote really as almost like a marketing exercise mm. um, for our company at the time. And John Whitmore, bless him, wrote the foreword for that book. And then Ian said to me, Ian challenged me and I said, John, why don't you go to uh, John Whitmore and ask him to introduce us to his publisher, Nicholas Brearley. And I said, you're joking, aren't you? You're joking, you know, how could I, John Blakey, go to John Whitmore, Sir John Whitmore, and ask him to introduce me to his publisher? So I resisted this, but eventually I did it. And of course, John Whitmore, being the kind soul that he was, um, introduced me and Ian to Nicholas Brearley. And I, I shall always remember being sat there in Nicholas Brearley's dusty publishing house in, in um, Farringdon, um, having read a copy of Where All the Coaches Went, when the banks went down, Ian and I went to meet him, fully expecting that he'd say, run along now, little boys, and stick to the day job. <laughs> um, and he didn't. He went, I think there could be something in this. And I sort of went, what? He said, I think there could be something in this. And it's like the walls of the room. It felt like the walls of the room were billowing in and out at that point because I couldn't really understand what was going on. And I, and, and I walked out of that meeting and Ian said to me, are you okay? Because um, really I was in shock. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that Nicholas Brearley, whose books I had loved and, and I had, you know, The Learning Organization by Peter Senge, uh, Coaching for Performance. You know, Nicholas Brearley had published some of the, the, the greatest books, you know, and I thought, what? Um, anyway, yeah, he, he sponsored us to write Challenging Coaching. Um, that came out. Uh, caused a bit of a stir. Um, some people accuse us of being heretics. Some people still do accuse us of being heretics. Um, but nevertheless, it was a book. So it couldn't be pushed away that easily anymore because Nicholas had said, it's a book. So it was in the book of coaching now. We'd written it. 
Um, and that's challenging coaching. So maybe I'll pause there because, you know, then there was the journey to trusted executive, but I probably need to take a breath and, um, and just pause. <laughs> Sing story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, I want, I want to, I want to, I want to give John some glory, John Whitmore some glory because John such an inspiration to me and many coaches and, um, he was such a generous man. He gave me so much time when I was learning to be a coach. And um, yeah, I miss him. I miss him a lot. Um, yeah. So uh, I just want to mention him because wonderful, wonderful man. Mm. It sounds like a man with humility and humanity. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. One of the most inspiring people I've had the fortune to, to build a relationship with and um yeah um yeah I do remember him with affection the last time I saw John was in his home in Seven Oaks and he'd got dementia by then and um he didn't recognize me and he was searching all over his flat to try and find something that he thought he'd lost mm. and um it was very very sad um to see him you know the great John Whitmore and he was in a, he was not in a good way at that at that point. Um, but you know, I was I was glad to sort of still be um you know with him and um and, and around him at, you know throughout that. So all sorts of insights there, aren't there, about honoring and respecting those who've gone before us. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there are some people who come along and, and they and they act as catalysts for your journey um, mm. helpers, as, the, as the, the hero's journey would refer, refer to them as helpers and these people are really precious um, so yeah uh, it's important to, to 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 give them the glory yeah yeah and it took you to be to learn from him so that you could then embrace the challenge space yeah and he wrote the forward for challenging coaching which was you know a, a real sort of privilege and, and uh, it's such a great legacy you know that he has in all respects but you know I, I love that there's a little bit of him in challenging coaching and um he he and when I last met the reason I visited him that last time was to give him a copy of the trusted executive oh wow um because he knew about that and I talked about it with him um so I felt like he'd given it his blessing but he I doubt if he ever got to read it yeah but you carried something into it that you had embodied from being with him. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I, I want to stay with challenging coaching and I also want to move on to the trust yeah. thing. Yeah. Because I honestly think that, that, that that book was, was a real moment in the coaching world and, and gave a way of looking at, enough challenge, too much challenge, not enough challenge in a way that people could get it really easily and therefore go, oh, yeah, I completely understand that. So mm -hmm. when I, in the days when I did on-site, we'd always draw your two-by-two two on a flip chart mm -hmm. and ask people what their preference was when they received a conversation. Was it high challenge, low challenge, high support, low support? And they'd mm -hmm. all say that when they received a conversation, they preferred it in your loving boot space, your high challenge, high support. And then when you asked them what their preference of delivery was, they would almost always go 
low challenge, low support, or high challenge, um, of high support, low challenge. Um, yeah. And, you know, over many, many years of, of delivering that little session with that flip chart in many courses, it's always the same. Mm. So there's such a need for people to be able to look at it and make their own meaning and go, oh my goodness, what I like to receive and what I like to deliver are completely different. Yeah. 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 So there's a few aha moments in, in that, you know, and, and one of the great things in the early days of challenging coaching was we would do, Ian and I would do workshops and at the break, um, someone would always come up to us and sort of quietly whisper, um, thank you for writing your book. And, and, and what they meant was you've legitimized something. You've given me permission um, you know, to explore a space that, that I didn't know whether I was able to explore or it was okay for me to explore. And if, if Ian and I did nothing else uh, alongside other people at that time who were writing other books that we, we also were inspired by, it, it, was, it was to expand the space in which that conversation can happen, not, not to declare rights and wrongs, but to to expand the space yeah and give people a wider repertoire in dialogue yeah wow and then so so what was the journey from challenge to trust <laughs> yeah um well i'm a big fan of course in the book challenging coaching in the facts model the c stands for courageous goals and I've lived my life very much on that premise of courageous goals. You know, what is the next mountain to climb? And after challenging coaching, you know, because the, the, the courageous goal before challenging coaching was to write a book <laughs> and then you do it and you think, oh, OK. So I've sort of normalized that um, experience. And and you have to think, well, what now from here is the courageous goal? And the thing with challenging coaching, it was co-authored with Ian. Um, so one of the questions in my head was, can I write a book with, with my own voice, with purely my own voice? That, that was something that I thought, mm, yeah, that would be, that would require more courage. Ah. And the other part, the trust bit, or, or the, other, the other element of Challenging Coaching was when we launched Challenging Coaching, on the first day, we launched it at the CIPD exhibition in Earl's Court. And we had lots of many, many positive experiences that day. But there was one conversation I had with a lady who came up to our sort of booth where I explained challenging coaching and talked about it. And she went, oh, so it's an airport book then, is it? And bearing in mind, this was the day on which we launched it and we were all very um, proud of what we'd done. And funny enough, in my, in my life, those sorts of conversations have often triggered a response. Um, and, and I thought, OK, I, I want to write a book that's got academic, that's got an academic um, grounded. Mm. So the challenge with Trusted Executive was A, to write on my own, but B, was to put myself in the classroom again in 2012 to start a doctorate, a DBA at uh, Aston Business School and to write a book that was based on the research. And, and that's where the trusted executive model the nine habits of trust came from that research so when the trusted executive was published as a book i personally knew that i'd have i had gone to a different place you know it was it was a different book to challenging coaching obviously i loved challenging coaching it was great to write it with ian but for me on my journey the next step was 
can can you do something that's your own voice um, alone and can you base it on academic research and um that was the that was the trusted executive wow so and quite a big shift quite a big shift and a real lot of work i mean yeah. a real lot of work and of course the interesting thing is that even though um as you might expect trusted executive was not an airport but that meant it also didn't sell and it never <laughs> sold as many copies as challenging coaching it's it's had um it we've we've you know i've sold more corporate copies of that book but um but in terms of individual purchases um it's interesting isn't it that um that's why airport books are called airport books because they they sell a lot mm. but you know they're a different type of book um so i've had an experience now of a self-published book Nicholas Brearley publishing Challenging Coaching. And of course, I went to a new publisher, Kogan Page, for the trusted executive. And, and that was a big decision, really, because of you know, the loyalty to Nicholas. But, but there was you know, reasons for, 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 for wanting to, to do it with, with Kogan Page. And, and uh, so there was, there was a lot different about trusted executive. And then there's a fourth book that you haven't mentioned. Which, <laughs> yeah. you and I had a conversation I can remember it I was in a coffee shop we were on the phone in mm. 2013 wow and you told me about your poetry book mm. yeah that's the secret book <laughs> that's the book that was written um, wasn't written uh, you know again it's different again obviously completely different again it's poetry and it was self-published it was a cathartic act for me to write that again required a lot of courage um and um hardly anybody has read that so so you um claire you know were one of the um one of the souls that um that that has that does know about that and and, and did connect with it um but yeah you know that's certainly not an airport book <laughs> so does that mean it's out of print now Pretty much, pretty much. I've I've got like a little private stock, and and occasionally, I'll be working with someone as a coachee, a client, who I think you know it could it could have some meaning for them and some relevance, and and I might give them a copy, or I might share certain poems with certain people at a more personal level. Um, I've been in coaching sessions where I've suddenly remembered a poem, and I've shared it with with the person that I've been working with. Um, Interestingly, poems came first for me, and I, you know, I, I wrote poems for for many, many years, just as a private, um, as I say, cathartic sort of uh, practice. Um, since I've been writing books, challenging coaching, and interesting, because I haven't found that I've been able to write poetry at the same time as I write. Interesting. Books. And I don't know whether I'll get back to that. Um, I'm actually thinking at the moment and talking to my publisher about a new book. Um, and the new book probably is a, a hybrid between it's a spiritual it's going it's going to need to be a spiritual book um i just don't know how it's going to be pitched but it it's going to be in in the poetry is spiritual is spiritual and and challenging coaching just exactly you know there's academic in there there's practical practitioner stuff in there but but this new book i think is is is, is going to be a spiritual book. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
God willing. I might come back to you and ask you if I can use one of your poems in our new book. Oh, wow. Because I think it might fit really beautifully. Right. Yeah. Well, that would that would uh, that would be lovely. So you're well trusted now in the world of trust. <laughs> yep. So what qualities do you bring intentionally to trust people or to have people trust you? Well, the model of trustworthiness, the nine habits of trustworthiness. Um, I was sharing that today with, uh, with a group of leaders from the NHS and I shared with them when I talk about the model, I always share the two habits that I'm working on um, and I've been working on for some time. Um, because some of those habits come naturally to people uh, you know of the nine they're going to be some habits habits that will come natural to, to, to anybody and there are other habits that, that people are going to need to work at creating the habit making it habitual being conscious being explicit about that and there are two habits for me that I've needed to work on and I'm still working on one is being open and the other is being kind mm. so being open it's interesting talking about books books require you to be open Writing a book about spiritual poetry requires an incredible amount of vulnerability, or, or at least it felt like that at the time. Mm. So I'm clearly more open than I was, um, but I still feel there's stuff in me that I, and, th and this is the next book, there's stuff in me that I haven't shared. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, and it frightens me, the idea of sharing it, but equally it also excites me. And then the other habit that I'm that I'm focused on is being kind. You know, I, I wasn't brought up to be kind. I, I haven't been particularly role modeled into particularly in terms of leadership. I, I wasn't it wasn't role modeled to me about kindness in leadership. So that's very countercultural for me. Um, and I've again had to be very explicit and intentional around practicing kindness. Um, but, you know, I feel I'm getting getting there with mm. that but I still have to work at it but I'm amazed at the power of kindness mm. um, so you know for me it's like a uh, something I've discovered quite late in life you know that um that I, I wish I discovered earlier um but it just wasn't on the radar I love your honesty because it's easy, isn't it, to make assumptions that we are all brought up like X, Y, Z. Actually, that's not true. No, and, and of course, there's a, there's, there's a cultural conditioning around a lot of these things. There's a gender conditioning around these things. Um, you know, I was brought up to be an alpha male and, um, you know, to be one of the, well, that, that species. And, um, you know, kindness is not is not is not part of the sort of um, role description necessarily of, of, of that so so yeah that's been that's that's what I'm intentionally working on but as we talk about it being open I realize I've um I, I am I, I can do that I am but but I'm what the challenge is is to do even more of it at, 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 a, at a completely new level and then the kindness one is yeah, it's just I'm a, I'm a novice, uh, you know, and um, I'm I'm way behind the curve a bit on that one, but um, but I am working on it. A novice or on a journey? 
Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, a judgment around the word novice. You know, wear the white belt, as they, uh, as they say, and I, I wear the white belt on that one. Um, I hope that comes over as humble, and uh, you know, that's another of the habits um, that does come more naturally to me. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a novice, but I don't, I don't judge that negatively. Mm, that's interesting. You said humility comes more naturally and kindness doesn't because often they would be linked, wouldn't they? But you're saying that actually for you in the work that you've done and the deep work you've done on yourself, they're not the same. No, no, I'm, I'm a natural at, at um, I say natural. It, it, <laughs> it's a bit ironic to say that you're natural at being humble, but, but it definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's home ground for me. That don't, doesn't mean I'm perfect with it, but um, it's home ground. Whereas, yeah, kindness is, 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 is alien territory. Mm. Mm. so can we talk about where this all comes from yeah sure so where does this all come from well I'm a Christian and um I give all the glory to God and uh, so that's where it comes from um John Whitmore once said to me John how do you feel when you're writing and I said John I feel loved I feel loved when I'm writing because that's when I'm closest to God and I hear him the strange thing is is that I'm deaf in one ear and um, I've always thought that that was the ear that was reserved for for him and and when I write I listen with that ear and um, it it comes through me um, and that's a beautiful experience um, to 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 have and um, I'm yearning for that experience again at the moment. Um, mm. So part of writing, and, and I was having this conversation the other day with someone about, you know, there's so many books out there on so many things and who wants another coaching book? Who wants another leadership book? If, if, you, if you start to try and think about writing books for, for worldly goals, then I think it can be quite an overwhelming um, experience. But if you think about writing a book as part of your personal journey part of your healing part of your spiritual um dialogue then um for me that's that's a great reason to write Mm -hmm. and then if somebody else it's like my poetry book if somebody else happens one day to connect with something that you've written great you know obviously love that but but actually a lot of it's been about i write because i need to write Mm. And I need to write because my faith um, calls me to um, to be in that space. Mm. So there's something about connection to God outside of yourself that is fundamental to who you are as a person. Yeah. Well, mm. that first coaching experience that I referred to as a revelation, Claire, that's where I found my faith. Oh, wow. I didn't have my faith when I went on that course. When, but when I came away from it, it was there. And, you know, that was what was, when I went deep, that was what was revealed to me. Um, and um, I didn't even have the language to talk about it. In fact, I didn't talk about it to anyone, including my wife, Jane, for three years. I didn't talk to anybody about what had happened. Um, but I knew that I'd come away with the faith and I didn't understand it and I never wanted it. I hadn't asked for it. Um, it was 
against everything I believed before that point. So it's taken me a long, long time to be open about my faith. I mean, not talking about something for three years, <laughs> that was that. And it's partly that I feared judgment and ridicule. It was partly because I, every time I tried to get the words out, there would be so much emotion coming with the words that I couldn't actually get them out. Whereas now I can talk about it with you. I can be quite calm about it. Uh, I've normalized it. But at the time, it was really sort of quite scary stuff for me to be in that space. Some insight. <laughs> I can get yeah. why you called it a revelation. <laughs> yeah, as I say, I sometimes describe going on that course and, and being coached that time as like living in a house for all your life and having lost something. Um, and then gone on the process of trying to find it, searching for it and turning the whole house upside down, literally upside down, you know, pulling everything apart, pulling the sofa apart, you know, taking the plasterboard off the walls to try and find this thing. And then getting to a point actually on that course, getting to a point where I actually gave up and surrendered. And in the moment I surrendered in this house, like a door opened that I never knew existed. And it just opened in front of me. And I'm thinking, I, I was looking everywhere. And, you, you know, and then this happens, this door opens and the thing that I'd lost, I found again. And um, how do you talk about that? I can only talk about it metaphorically, like I have, just have done, you know. How do you put that into words? That's, the, that's why writing and speaking is, is important to me because I'm trying to put into words something that, I will never be able to put into words. Mm. And the coach that was working with you in that hotel in the New Forest did not do that. No, but she witnessed it. What a great definition. She bore witness. She bore witness to me. She stood wow. with me at the moment that it all fell apart. She witnessed that and she held it. And in the, in the midst of that brokenness um, appeared something. Wow. Yeah. That's courage from both of you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's faith. That's a leap of faith. And um, if anybody's listening and, and if, it's, if, it's, if this is speaking to anybody who's listening, it's like if you ever get that moment where you think you might, be able to take this leap but you don't know what's on the other side um it's like well my testimony is that when you leap um you will always be the ground will appear you will always be caught but you have to leap. Mm. you have to have the courage to jump wow And you get this, don't you, Claire? I mean, you get this. That's why, you know, I can talk to you about it because you get it. Um, I don't know what your own journey is, but I know that, you know, you have that. Yeah, I do get it. You have that capacity to, um, to have this conversation. And I think what's interesting is we've got some people coming up on a podcast in a few weeks' time who also want to talk, not in this space, but in a similar space, 
And I think there's something that I often say in coaching that that great coaching comes from what we see, hear and sense. But for people who have an engagement with the divine. And I think, you know, you and I have an agreement there about what we perceive that is. Mm -hmm. But for people who have an engagement with the divine, I think there's also something about what we discern. So there's something about what we see, what we Mm -hmm. hear what we sense and actually what we discern. And um, there's a book by, I nearly said Matt Damon, but he's an actor, isn't he? There's a book by William Damon called The Path to Purpose. Okay. And in that book, uh, he's the professor of, or he was a professor of human development at Stanford or some university in the States. And his research into human purpose said that people find purpose when they're connected to something outside of themselves. Mm. Yeah. And in that moment, in your looking, Mm. you connected to the God outside of yourself and the God outside of yourself connected to you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I have moments in coaching. I also feel very close to that presence in, in my coaching. There are times when I feel it very very present and there are some times when when clients are letting me in um are, are, are really letting me in that I always hear this phrase about um the scripture about take off your shoes you're stood on holy ground because <laughs> uh, I know I'm in a sacred place um when they when they let me in there and sometimes they've let me in somewhere that they've never let anybody into ever and 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 you just I just go really really still and really quiet and I just it's a, such a sort of sacred place that for me that's the only thing you do in that moment is you just go as still as you possibly can and as quiet as you possibly can and you let that profoundness just be experienced um, before disturbing anything um, further. That's the last line of my last book. What, what, what is the last line? Take off your shoes. The place you are standing is holy ground. Oh, wow. Oh, you're giving me, you're giving me shivers there. You're giving me shivers. Um, well, there you go. When two or more are gathered together in his name, there too will I be in the midst of that. Wow. What an amazing conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. So I'll put in the show notes um, your books, Challenging Coaching and The Trusted Executive. Um, Are you happy to connect with people on LinkedIn if they want to talk to you? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very active on LinkedIn. So, yeah, more than happy to connect. I want to say a massive thank you for coming to the coaching in today. And um, you've given us loads to think about. And I want to have a conversation offline with you about your next book. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. I'm Claire Pedrick, and you've been listening to me in conversation with John Blakey. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 
3dcoaching.com.